Welcome, NEC Hoops fans, to another season of the NEC On The Run podcast. My name is Ron Ratner. I'm the Senior Associate Commissioner at the NEC, and my partner, as always, Ryan Peters, our intrepid blogger on the NEC Overtime blog. You can find him on X at Pioneer underscore Pride. Ryan, we are back at it again. You've been rehired again to help us out and talk NEC hoops, and we love having you. And uh, we're coming off our first weekend. The NEC New Year has arrived, and there were some surprises, and there were some things I think we all expected. Uh, what's your initial take after the first week of conference play? Well, first of all, Ron, I'm surprised you're able to convince me to come back, but here I am talking. <laughs> Touche. I love it. It's a, it's a, it's going to be a fun season, and uh, we're already you know two games in. But for me, I did not expect Lemoyne to beat Fairleigh Dickinson. They're down ten, middle of that second half. Fairleigh Dickinson's kind of rolling, and then the Dolphins go on a 25 to four run to close out that game. And, you know, FDU went cold from deep. That's part of a credit to Nate champions defense from, uh, from the perimeter, but, you know, Kai Cleary, 23 points, eight rebounds. He's really impressive. You know, he's shooting 48% of his catch and shoot jumpers, a uh, really versatile athletic guy. And uh, they have a number of veterans, you know, this is not unlike, Stonehill coming into the league or Merrimack coming into the league a few years ago. You know, this is a veteran group. They know how to play. They, they've won at pre the previous level they were coming from. And uh, they're certainly unafraid of the spotlight here. Yeah, Lemoyne does remind me in, in lots of ways of Stonehill and Merrimack when they joined the conference. They all won their NEC debuts. You know, the, la the last two, um, who did they beat? Stonehill and Merrimack. That was Sacred Heart. In sacred heart <laughs> that's right so when you come in from the d2 level with experienced talent and you combine them maybe with some incoming of d1 transfers some players who have been through the wars and are veterans uh that's what lemoyne looks like to me they can they obviously they you, you pointed out kai cleary luke sutherland they have some shooters on that team they have some size they have some bounce to their game and um, yeah, I think, yes, FDU went cold in that game and uh, LeMoyne heated up. They scored 18 straight points at one point. They turned a 10-point deficit into an eight-point lead and they never looked back after that. So that's a great result on the road. They only played once, so we'll we'll see what happens and we'll talk about some of their upcoming games as well. But I, I guess Nate Champion can't ask for more coming coming into his first week of NEC play. No, absolutely. And you, you mentioned Luke Sutherland, you know, he's played at division one level before he was at Siena. He was at Bryant for a cup of coffee. So he's unfazed. Nate McClure came from, you know, IUPUI. And so he's obviously had a, a pretty good career there. Now he comes over as a dolphin. He's been productive. Um, you know, uh, Mike DePersia, he's just a defensive bulldog out there. He's so he's a good dog on, on defense. That so guy good on the ball. He's in, yep. so you can he he'll play he'll play Division three. He'll play Division two. He'll play Division one. That style, that intensity, um, that you know, focus on you know details and focus on attention. He's he's got it. He's going to be one of the best defensive players in the league. All right, let's turn our attention. Obviously, that was a great weekend for Lemoyne. Let's go to Merrimack, a pick uh, fourth in the league. After winning it all last year, that we we know they've lost some key pieces. Joe Gallo brings in some new talent. Things started to click during non-conference play. Now they come in super impressive opening weekend at Lawler Arena. Beat FDU by four points. That was a good game, close game in the NEC title rematch. And then they really take it to the preseason favorite, Sacred Heart, on Saturday, eighty-two to fifty-eight. 
they looked super duper in that game. Jordan Durkak was, you know, he's kind of playing out of his mind right now. Yeah, I think he's the best player in the league right now. Back-to-back player of the week awards. You know, he's scored 48 points this week, uh, nine assists, five steals um, in those two home wins. And Durkak, he's just so versatile. He's so good at, like, getting to the free throw line. He's 6'5", so Joe Gallo is going to post him up. You know, obviously, you're going to have a lot of smaller defenders on him when you're playing NEC opponents. Um, he's very good at setting up his players. You know, he's got one of the better assist rates in the league and in the country. And now he's making threes. He made three of five from deep. So that was the only piece in Jordan Durkak's game to make him a complete player. And at 6'5", with those guard skills, he's just simply unguardable right now. He's got a – I've always said he's got a swagger to his game. Like, that's a confident young man out there. Mm-hmm. He knows yeah. he's good. And he can back it up. And now he's got he's got some pieces around him. So you look at Merrimack's Merrimack and their evolution from um, from when they first started to now, and it's always been based on defense. They always have these ball hawking guards, um, you know, from Javaris Hayes to Javon Bennett, and now Bud Clark comes in, and they don't miss a beat. And the Durkak Clark backcourt that's outstanding at this level. It's incredible the the level of play this defense is uh, executing on right now. They they actually have a better de- adjusted defense efficiency this year than they have last year, and that was with Jordan Minor and Ziggy Reed, and you mentioned Bennett. You take like three guys who could have been defensive player of the year types off that team, and Joe Gallo doesn't miss a beat. You know they forced thirty eight turnovers in the two wins, and that that two three zone is just it, it it goes to show you that Merrimack staff knows how who to recruit for that zone. They know, you know, what what guys are great at the top of that zone, getting turnovers, what guys are great at the side of the zone, being able to bounce up and down to contest those three-point shooters, and then finding your goalie in the middle. And, uh, you know, Merrimack has it rolling defensively. They're playing at a historical level, you know, if you're looking at NEC standards. And, you know, they, they were really, really good last year defensively, but I think they're almost even better this year, which is unfathomable going into the year. Yeah, if they're going to hit three-point shots, that's going to be a tough team to beat this year, Tonight, right? It's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Let's. I don't want to say it's over. There's. We got some contenders here. Let's talk about another one, Central Connecticut. Uh, Blue Devils, under Pat Sellers, his third year, picked second in the league. A little bit of a slow start, but then they found their rhythm uh, as they went through non-conference play. They had a uh, – it might be our best – non-conference win was when they won at Lowell, UMass Lowell, mm-hmm. uh, and then they uh, won at Fordham. So this team has won three in a row. They won their opener against Stonehill on the road. Uh, we'll see more of them coming up with some tough games. But I look at Central and I see um, not only a team coming into its own, but I see a team with, what, three three all-stars on that team, right? Yeah. Like you're looking at Jordan Jones, what an addition, Kellen Amos and, and Alan Gene Rose, who's been as good as anybody in the league. Yeah, they, they have a big three now. And like you said, all three of those guys could be easily the top six players in the league right now. Uh, you know, I think Gene Rose, besides Durkak, is probably the best player in the league. I mean, what an addition from Fairfield. But Central Connecticut, dominant second half against Stonehill. And defense has really driven this team. I, we talk about the big three and, the, you know, their ability to score, but they held – Stonehill to 0.83 points per possession, uh, you know, 45% from, from two. They forced 18 turnovers at a plus seven turnover margin. So Pat Sellers really has his team playing. 
the best defense this team has played in the past decade, quite frankly. And I, you know, I touched on the blog, they're playing great defense. They're tremendous in transition because Jordan Jones is, is so dynamic and quick getting in the open floor. Uh, you know, Kellen Amos is starting to come into his own now. He had a shooting slump early in the year, but now he's starting to get going. And he's actually been very good at, despite his three-point issues, he's been very good at getting other points in different ways, you know, getting getting the ball out in transition or hitting his mid-range jumpers. So, I mean, that team is really scary. They have a lot of veterans on that team, too, um, that can help. You know, Jaden Brown, you can't forget about him. Trey Breland's a great guy off the bench for them. And uh, I, they're definitely a contender right now. Right now, they're the number two team in the league for me. Yeah, they're playing great. Uh, they're fantastic when they when they get out in transition that is a tough team to uh to tangle with and uh you're right they have the big three but they have some supporting pieces in Breland Jaden Brown is is uh, is up his game this year you know Jay you know the Jay Rogers if they if, if Devontae Sweatman can can up his production that's another weapon that they have because he was pretty good last year yeah no they're, they're eight or nine deep without a doubt and a lot of the if, for a contender, you definitely need at least eight or nine guys to absorb, you know, the in inevitable injuries that are going to inflict your squad at some point. But they have the they have the horses now. Pat Sellers needed to get there in year three, and he certainly has. And uh, this group looks really formidable in the you know in the in the coming future. Yeah, fun team to watch. So let's move from Central over to Wagner. Now Wagner, there's been a few teams in the NEC really hit by the injury bug this year, and Wagner is one of them. Play down to I know you you're you're handling their analysis so you're seeing it up close and personal down to seven players right now but it did not stop them the tough loss to uh, to LIU where they staged a major comeback and almost pulled that one out on Thursday then Saturday they come back and they take care of business against the talented uh, young SFU team. Yeah, SFU never got into that game. You know, Wagner got got off to a hot start. They were forcing turnovers. St. Francis just never got comfortable in their half-court sets on offense, and uh, that was a testament to the on-ball pressure that Wagner was bringing. Wagner's played a lot of zone this year because they've been down to seven guys. Um, but against St. Francis, they mainly played man because it was just working so well. They were getting turnovers. They were getting out transition. Melvin Council, when he gets ahead of steam in the mm -hmm. open floor, he is – impossible to stop you know we talked about Jordan Jones in transition council is just as good getting downhill and getting to the rim um, when you have an odd man rush and uh, you know Julian Brown I really like him I think he's a future star in this league and he's been forced to step up but he had a really good game against St. Francis 19 points four of nine from three most of them of the catch and shoot variety you know uh, Teron Allen has really stepped up his game I love that kind of over his left shoulder floater. He's he's a guy who's all about angles too. You know, he he knows how where to hit his spots in the midcourt or near the rim and kind of float it up there and get the bucket off the glass. And uh, you know, despite the injuries, um, I think Donald Copeland's team is going to compete every single day. And they got the bye now coming up, so they have a ten game break between last Saturday's game and then their next game, which will be on Martin Luther King Day, hosting Stonehill. So a much needed break. Maybe he gets one or two guys back and. They have an eight or nine man rotation, then maybe they could start getting a little more healthy and getting a little more depth in their team. Yeah, that's do you think someone who who sees their games, you know that the style that Wagner has always played, super physical, super in your face. They tend to foul a lot. Yeah. You got seven guys now. Do you have you noticed any adjustments from Donald Copeland to his team now to account for the fact that we can't have a we can't have anybody foul out now? 
Yeah, and actually they had Sexzongo fall out in that SFU game and uh, Keontae Lewis who's had four fouls. So they were literally one foul away from only have five available guys late in that game, which would have been interesting. But yeah, no, they're playing. So going to the St. Francis game, you know, I alluded to it. They didn't play very much zone in that game, but going into that game, they played 17% of the defensive possessions in zone compared to 5% last year. So obviously that's an adjustment that Donald Copeland is trying to like give his guys a little bit of a break, a little bit of breather and play some zone instead of that, you know, intense ball pressure in your face, half court defense that they always play from a man to man standpoint. So they're doing that. They're trying to be, a, there's only so much you could do, right? There's seven guys and, you know, Sex Zongo is a talented freshman, but he came in as a 13th man off this bench and he's been forced into action. He's playing out 15 to 20 minutes a game because that's what you have to do. We need warm bodies out there. Uh, to to kind of help fill the void while these other guys get you know hopefully get healthy for Wagner but yeah there's been a few things they've changed your defensive philosophy a little bit but they're still gonna they're still gonna kind of grind you down defensively they're gonna and the key with them I think is getting out and transition off those live ball turnovers that's when they're at their best they were at their best when they were doing that with Alex Morales and Will Martinez and Elijah Ford getting out into transition and finishing and so they're very opportunistic. And I think they were really opportunistic against the Red Flash on Saturday. And that's something I think they have to continue to do despite the short rotation. So hats off to Wagner, even for their game on Thursday, where they overcome a 26-point deficit with 12 minutes to play. Actually take Incredible the run. lead. Incredible. Take the lead. The Ty Strickland hits a big three. Uh, and LIU wins it. So let's talk a little bit about LIU. So to me, the big stories this week were... Lemoyne, LIU, and Merrimack. LIU struggled through non-conference, a brutal non-conference schedule. They had a bunch of injuries. I don't, we're still not seeing the full LIU team, but boy, they looked, they, they played Wagner and they almost lost the lead. I mean, they did blow the lead, but they won the game. Then they went up to Stonehill, won on the road by five. Ty Strickland, we're going to talk to Ty. We interviewed him just a little while ago. We're going to take you to an interview there in a second, but let's just get a little bit from you on LIU's surge and how you think, um, what you see from them moving forward. I mean, their guard play was terrific over the week, right? Ty Strickland and Eric Acker were, were both fantastic, you know, making shots, getting into the lane, getting two feet into the paint, and then be able to finish around the rim or kick out to open shooters. Uh, this team just looks a little more confident now. You know, like you you mentioned earlier, they went through the gauntlet in non-conference. They played some really tough teams, but that was something that Rod Strickland knew was going to happen. He knew they were going to play some really hard opponents, and it's kind of made them a little tougher. It's kind of galvanized them a little bit. And, uh, you know, even you know, even guys like Tana Copa and R.J. Green really stepped up over the weekend. You know, R.J. Green's got the best defensive rebounding rate for these two games of any NEC player. So, him coming in, he was coming off off injury, and then you have Nicola Joppa, who's been really good down low. Um, you know, he had a, a really good 12.15 rebound effort in that win against Wagner. He was, and he had a couple of really nice post moves against Keontae Lewis in that game. So they're starting to come together. I think it was kind of a little overwhelming when you have seven new freshmen coming in. If you're Rod Strickland, it takes a while for everything to mesh together, and not just seven freshmen, but you also have the two graduate. You know. Uh, seniors coming in, you know, the Strickland boys coming in as well. So it just takes a while for everyone to develop that chemistry. And I think we're starting to see that now. They're playing much more efficient basketball on both ends of the floor. All right. To hear more about LIU start, let's, we're going to take you now to an interview Ryan and I did with Ty Strickland, who came up 
clutch in the Sharks' two wins. Welcome, NEC Hoops fans, to the NEC On The Run podcast. My name is Ron Radner with the NEC. As always, I'm joined by Ryan Peters and this week's special guest, Ty Strickland from LIU. Sharks coming off a big 2-0 start to NEC play to begin the new year. Ty, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's get going here. LIU wins both games. They beat Wagner, go up to Stonehill, get a great road win. You guys played a very difficult non-conference schedule, but now you have these two victories. From your perspective, what were you able to do to turn things around uh, to begin conference play? Um, Honestly, I really think it started with the non-conference, you know, going through that gauntlet having played teams like Miami, you know, Rutgers, uh, a really good UMass Lowell team, which we've played pretty recently, even, uh, you know, Mount St. Mary's. Uh, we've we've had leads in those games. We've played very well for, you know, I want to say 25, 30 minutes of those, those games, but we were never able to really put together a full 40 minutes. And, you know, we've kind of just stressed that over the last, you know, week, week and a half, just about getting a full 40 minutes, playing hard, playing consistent, playing defense and, you know, getting out in transition. And, you know, finally we're, we're putting it all together. And they always say like the, the hardest win is the first win. So, you know, we got that one win under the belt and then we got two and now we just keep pushing. Yeah, Ty, let's talk about that first win. So that go-ahead three-pointer you hit against Wagner was as clutch as they come, especially after the Seahawks had just taken the lead on the heels of a 33-6 to run. You, know, you guys are a really young team. You have a ton of freshmen. So did you feel like as one of the veterans, you needed to step up and hit that shot against that Wagner zone late? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there was kind of a point where it was it was pretty stagnant. The ball was kind of moving around the perimeter, not really getting many paint touches. And, you know, they kind of made a bit of a mistake. They late close out and all I saw was the rim. I stepped into it confident. And, you know, as soon as I let it go, I knew I was going to make it. But, you know, the, the next thing in my head was you know not that I made the shot it's get back on defense you know they were on a run so getting that next stop was probably more important than you know making the shot yeah and to your credit you guys held Wagner scoreless in your final three possessions so that was obviously key yes sir yes sir so Ty you guys probably still trying to figure things out as far as your identity now like what is LIU basketball what do you feel it is uh it's playing defense full court you know we have many guards that play defense can push you know playing in transition playing fast uh getting to the rim and you know making an impact so you know we all want to be aggressive we want to be confident we want to play physical and really set the tone from the start you know sometimes we get off to slow starts and that really impacts us as the game goes on but you know when we come out we play fast you know we set the tone immediately I don't think there's many teams in the conference that can, you know, really play with us when we're on our uh, on our game. It's high. According to the analytics, you're one of the best on the ball defenders, not just on LIU, but in Northeast Conference. And I feel like you're in a great groove of late. You have 13 steals in your last three games. I'm sure your father has told you he has more than 1600 career steals in his NBA career. But <laughs> I'm just curious, what defensive lessons have you taken from your father and applied to yourself on the court that's made you such a fierce defender? It, it's funny that you say that because really it started, um, I want to say my sophomore summer in high school. Um, I was playing with Team Breakdown and we we were losing games, you know, kind of like how we were this year, you know, losing games. And 
when you lose, especially a lot consistently, you know, you start to turn and everybody's body language can get bad and things like that. And our coach went around the entire locker room. He said, where do you want to play in college? Where do you want to play in college? And I always grew up, I was a big East guy. So, you know, first thing I said, I want to go to Georgetown. And he looked me dead in my eyes and he said, you think you can play a Georgetown playing that defense? <laughs> and immediately I went back to my dad and I was like, how do I get better? What, what, like, what do I have to do? And, you know, it's, if, if you want to play defense, you'll be able to play defense. There's no skill to playing defense. It's effort. It's focus. It's attention to details. And, you know, for me, that's what gets my offense going, you know, being locked in on defense, getting stops. You know, I, I prefer to get a stop over getting the basket, to be honest, but, you know, especially on uh, this year on this team, you know, I've had to score a little more, but, you know, I've always been really locked in on defense. Let, Ty, let's turn it around to some of your bucket getting o- over the weekend. On Saturday, the end of the game against Stonehill, you get three layups in the last few minutes. You're slicing and dicing defenders off the dribble, getting, you know, finishing in traffic. Um, is there somebody that you maybe besides your dad that you model your game after? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've I've watched Kyrie Irving since I was able to watch him. So, you know, watching him play off the backboard, playing angles off the backboard, uh, you know, I've I've learned a lot. And, you know, especially just my dad teaching us his his ability to uh, lay the ball up. Then I can take a little bit from Kyrie, add my own kind of flair to it. And, you know, I I sit in the gym when I'm bored or you know, kind of in between drills or anything like that. And I'll just sit under the rim and just spin the ball off the backboard, right hand and left hand. And, you know, for that play, I, I don't I don't even know how that went in, but all I saw was the backboard where I wanted it to go, got the right spin and it went in. How important is it as some like an undersized guard, I would say, to find those angles to be able to to get past the trees or over the trees? It's extremely important. I mean, you you look at a guy like Shea Gilgis Alexander, you know, he's not necessarily traditionally small guard, but he scores a majority of his points in the paint and all he plays off of is angles. You know, he's not the most physical guy, strongest guy, but he gets to a spot. If you cut that spot off, he gets to the next spot and it's all about angles. And it's, it's impressive to watch. And I, that's another guy that I watch and take things from. All right. Now the most important question is, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, but we haven't asked it. So you and your brother, Terrell, who's winning that mm-hmm. one-on-one game? Who's get who's got bragging rights in the Strickland household? <laughs> he likes to say himself, but it's me always, all the time. So, you know, he, he, he'll, he'll beg to differ, but we know, we know the real truth. Hey, can your dad still go? No, 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 no. <laughs> he stopped. I think I beat him for the first time, I want to say my junior year in high school, and we haven't played one-on-one since. <laughs> I packed it in. <laughs> That's the real retirement. <laughs> exactly. He let me win one, and after that, he was like, no, you're not going to win streak on me. <laughs> That's great. Hey, Ty, I want to get your opinion on one of your teammates, Eric Acker. I know you've played with a lot of talented guards when, when you were at Wisconsin, Temple, and Georgia State. But, you know, what does Eric bring to the table? He had a huge weekend, 37 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists. What do you like most about his game? And he's really just getting started from a college basketball standpoint. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and 
honestly, when I see a guy like E, you know, I, it reminds me a lot of a Shea Gilders Alexander. He gets to his spots. There's no extra movements, no extra dribbles. He gets to where he wants to go. He'll rise up for one dribble pull up. He can shoot the three ball. He can finish in the lane. You know, he, his ceiling, you know, I, he, he, he could be one of the best guards, you know, to be in the NEC in my recent memory just off of that alone. And it takes me back to, like you said, the guards that I had at Wisconsin. They were fifth-year guys, uh, seniors. And I know the impact that they had on me. So, you know, being able to see that, and it kind of almost reminds me of myself in that situation. And being a part of his journey, you know, it has been amazing. And, you know, I just try to stay in his ear, stay confident, and keep shooting. You have the ability to make mistakes. You have the ability to play through mistakes. So, you know, take advantage of this while you still have it. Ty, last question for you. As we look into week two and beyond, what are some of the things LIU has to do to stay atop the standings to keep this momentum rolling? Uh, we have to we have to be even better defensively. You know, I you know, you would talk about the on-ball defense, but now it's up to me, especially just because I set the tone on the ball. I have to be better off the ball. I have to be better communicating, um, you know, just being a leader of the defense. And, you know, they like to make jokes. It's like I'm the anchor of the defense at 6'2". <laughs> but, you know, I, I take that with a sense of responsibility and making sure everybody's on the same page, making sure everybody's talking and comfortable, knowing where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. You know, it's like playing on a rope, but you got to have chemistry as a team to do that and continuing just to play with each other. Well, there it goes. Ty Strickland has said it all. LIU off to a 2-0 start. Ty, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us this week, and best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate it. Thanks to Ty Strickland for joining us. Ryan, he was a great interview. Yeah, a lot full personality. I loved it. You know, he's, he's the perfect guy to kind of lead this young LIU team, I think, into this conference season, and a great start for them at 2-0. Okay, let's move on to the future here. Let's look at some upcoming games on the schedule that we wanted to note. To me, the big one coming up, we're on a Saturday-Monday schedule. It kind of gets all funky now for the next couple of weeks. We're Saturday-Monday playing on MLK Day. Then we'll be Friday-Sunday the next week. Then we'll get into the rhythm of the Thursday-Saturday schedule that everybody's accustomed to. But next Monday, an MLK Day uh, matinee, Merrimack at Central, 4 p.m. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game. You know, looking at the not, how the teams did in non-conference, these were arguably our two best teams, and the potential is through the roof for both of them. What are your initial thoughts on Merrimack and Central? And it's going to be a lot of fun. Right now you have one of the most efficient offenses in the league in Central Connecticut, number two in league play. Merrimack, of course, is the best defense in the league. That really hasn't changed since Joe Gallows entered the league five years ago. But um, I'm very curious to see how Jordan Jones, Alan Jean Rose, um, all these guys handle that Merrimack zone. You know, that's a different animal. Central's in a really good groove right now. But, you know, that, that zone can change things, surely. And the one thing I'd note is, you know, Central Connecticut has struggled shooting from deep. You know, they, they only made 21% of their threes. Uh, in those two, in that one win against um, Stonehill. So, and Merrimack is known for suppressing threes, getting out in the perimeter. So Central, I think, has to do a lot of the damage in the interior of this Merrimack zone. I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup. Can Merrimack limit that dribble penetration from those guards like Jones and Gene Rose and those guys, Trey Breeland? Can they limit that penetration and kind of 
get back to where they could force 15 or more central Connecticut turnovers. It's going to be a fascinating battle between those two. Yeah. That's one of those interesting X's and O's games that I, I think all the, the hoops junkies like you and, and some of our other bloggers that they, they're going to love this one. So it should be fun. Let's talk a little bit about Lemoyne. We did them no favors. Their first two home games in the league are against Merrimack and Sacred Heart. So they're, they're also kind of running the gauntlet early on. What do you see from those games? Can, is there a possibility Lemoyne comes out three and zero after week two in your mind? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the whole goal of NEC play is to hold hold serve on your home court, right? And, uh, you know, that's not an easy trip to travel up to northern New York for these teams. And to do that on a short week, you know, Saturday, Monday, as you mentioned, um, I think they absolutely have a chance. You know, Cleary is one of the best scorers in the league, I think. You know, he's very versatile, uh, fairly efficient. You know, Sutherland's a great stretch power forward guy. You know, he's tough to contain at the four spot. He can make threes, you know, 41% from deep this year. Uh, you know, Owens is impressive. He, he may, he's making 37% of his uh, shots and defensively, this is a pretty good team. So if you have a, you know, if, if you have a bad shooting night, like Sacred Heart had the other night against Merrimack, uh, you could put yourself in a hole against these dolphins. They could score or you could be in big trouble. Last game I wanted to point out, let's go back to Sacred Heart because we didn't really talk too much about them earlier. This is a big game for them. Uh, LIU at Sacred Heart. I think it's big for both teams. We'll, we'll see if, if LIU can keep the ball rolling here. And Sacred Heart, after the loss to Merrimack, comes back home, now facing an LIU team that, you know, could be a bit more formidable than maybe they had anticipated. Yeah, I think this, should, this may end up being a track meet. I think both teams like to run up and down the floor. Uh, you know, they're, they're fast-paced. They have guys like like Strickland and Acker. And then, um, you know, I think McGuire and, uh, you know, Joe Riley, they like to get up and down the floor. So I think it's going to be a fun track meet. But Sacred Heart, they had a good win against St. Francis. They took care of business, and they had their big three were really going. Nico Gallet, uh, Alex Sobel, and Joey Riley were, you know, the three big scorers in that game, and they really need to get those three going. We'll see how Sobel feels coming off the ankle injury. I know he didn't play at Merrimack, so we'll see. If he's not playing in, that, in this game, that's obviously going to be a big concern for Anthony Latina. Um, but, yeah, LIU's got nothing to lose right now. You know, they're playing with house money at 2-0. Uh, with, a, you know, obviously a road win in, in their disposal as well. So if they could somehow pull off the win in the pit center, they're going to be flying high and in great shape in the early going. I also wanted to mention the game will have taken place by the time anyone hears this, but FDU is hosting a future NEC member next year, Chicago State, on Wednesday. I'm going to be at this one, my first chance to meet the folks at Chicago State. I'm pretty excited about that. Chicago State has had a pretty impressive non-conference run considering they've played them almost all their games on the road this year. Uh, now not be, you know, being an independent, obviously in January and February, it gets tough um, having to go on the road to play teams. Uh, but they've been, they beat Northwestern, which was an amazing win for that program. They had a couple, they beat Valpo some. So they had, they went on a, a nice run at one point in December. So we're excited about them. Should be a really good game with FDU. And then, Looking even ahead past that, FDU and Stonehill will be our first national TV game on linear television. CBS Sports Network, January 19th, we'll be making the trip to Stonehill uh, to see them play the night. So looking forward to the start of, of our TV package coming up shortly. And um, as always, just wanted to remind everybody, you can catch all the action on NEC Front Row and on the NEC On The Run series of mobile apps. Ryan, any last words as we head into week two? 
No, I don't think so. I'm really looking forward to this weekend. You know, the Saturday-Monday game, definitely unique. Had the day off on Monday. I'll be at Wagner broadcasting that Stonehill at Wagner game. So I'm really looking forward to the action. Um, and I think, you know, the, these teams now, you know, you don't want to fall too far behind because every game in this league is a dogfight. So you don't want to fall fall down to like 1-3 and three or 0-4, oh you know, in the early going because then it's tough. You're really digging yourself a hole because there's no easy games in this league. You know, even if you're playing the bottom of the, the, the bottom of these uh, standings, everyone could win at any point. We've already kind of seen that, uh, especially with LIU starting off at 2-0. and oh, So just got to kind of hold serve if you're if you're at home. And uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. I, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Me too. I lo- love the start of NEC play. It was a fun first uh, weekend. Ryan, you, as I said earlier, you can catch Ryan on the Wagner men's basketball broadcast with Joey Waller. Ryan equals ratings. That's apparently what they talk about over at Wagner. So um, glad to see you getting some airtime uh, in Staten Island. And uh I'm sure we will cross paths soon, but thanks for joining me once again. Episode one, NEC on the Run podcast is in the books and we will see you next week.